there, doll. Hey, doll. I'm your host, Paula. And I am your host, Cynthia. And we are Dolls Dolls and and Doom. Doom. So, Paula, I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. The case I'm going to tell you about today is probably the weirdest, most bizarre set of circumstances of all the cases we've brought to you so far at Dolls and Doom. I love weird and strange. This one goes so far beyond, you're not even going to believe it. Today, I'm going to tell you the story of Paulette Hebara Fara. And I also want to give a shout out to my friend Yvette Canino, who helped me with the pronunciation, the correct pronunciation of some of these names and words. So thanks, Yvette. I really appreciate it. So on the morning of March 21st, 2010, Paulette Hebara Fara, a gorgeous four-year-old girl, was discovered to be missing from her own bed. This immediately struck fear in the hearts of her two live-in nannies as Paulette was disabled. She was born very premature, about 25 weeks. At that time, the doctors told her parents that she would most definitely not survive, but Paulette was a fighter and she showed them. After surviving, the doctors told her parents that she would never walk or talk, but once again, she proved them wrong. At four years old, she could take a few steps with assistance, and she could say some simple words like mama. So this baby girl was obviously very special and such a trooper. She was able to do things that her family was told would never be possible, but we do need to remember that she did require assistance. In fact, she required constant care. So her not being in her bed would have required someone to have moved her she could not have just gotten up and walked off by herself. Now, just the night before Paulette went missing, her family had arrived home after being on two separate vacations. You see, Lisette, Paulette's mother, who was a former attorney who had quit her job to become a stay-at-home mother once she had children, had gone to Los Cabos with a friend, while her husband Mauricio, a successful businessman, took Paulette and Paulette's seven-year-old sister, who was also named Lisette Jr., to Via de Bravo. Now, I've read some posts and heard some people talk about how this is strange that Lisette, the wife and mother, went on a different vacation than the rest of her family. And though I definitely think it could potentially be strange, I also think it could be a very innocent situation where a mom just needed a break And instead of staying home with the kids, dad decided to take them away for a few days also. I'm a stay-at-home mom of three boys, and I can tell you that any chance I get to have a little break, I am going to take it. Yeah, that's what I hear from all of my friends (laughs) that are mothers. Yes. So, you know, I could see this happening. And the Habata family was pretty well-to-do financially. So I don't think they really had to worry about maybe the financial strain of two different vacations. So for me, this doesn't immediately cause alarm bells to sound. So everyone got home from their vacations on Sunday. The family lived in an upscale apartment complex in Huixquilugan, Mexico, which is a wealthy suburb of Mexico City. 
Mauricio and the girls didn't get home until around 9 p.m., but when they did arrive, Lisette got Paulette ready for bed, and this included a special bedtime routine of putting pillows all around Paulette and then tucking her in relatively tightly with blankets to keep her from rolling around and falling off the bed. Now, I don't think this is weird at all. I have an 18-month-old that I'm trying to get to sleep through the night. And (laughs) because I'm exhausted, he often just ends up in bed with me. And when he does, I put up walls of pillows to keep him from falling or rolling off the bed. So I can literally see this picture in my mind. Oh, yeah, me too. So the next morning comes and business is as usual. The family has two sisters who live with them and act as maids and nannies. So remember, Paulette requires a lot of care and the Farah family can afford the help. So the nannies get Lisette Jr. up and get her off to school before going to wake up Paulette. The nannies say they went into her bedroom at around 8 a.m. and found her large bed empty. They said they looked everywhere. First, they checked the more obvious places, like the closets and the bathroom. But after they didn't find her, they said they went as far as to lift up the mattresses and then continue to search the entire house. After looking everywhere, they still could not find little Paulette. So that's when they went and told Mauricio and Lisette that their daughter was missing. Now here is where we find our first discrepancy. Mauricio and Lisette say that they immediately started searching for Paulette, but the nannies tell a different story. According to these two sisters, Lisette sat at the kitchen table drinking coffee and smoking cigarettes. Now, these parents didn't even call the police. Mauricio's sister did. Apparently, Mauricio called his sister to let her know what was going on, and she decided that it was a big enough deal that the police needed to be called. So police arrive, and now the search really heats up. It is reported that at least 100 officials searched the entire property. Sniffer dogs were brought in, and guess what they found? Um, nothing? You're right. They found nothing. Ugh. There was no sign of a struggle. Nothing was out of place. And yet, everyone agreed that there was no way that Paulette could have disappeared on her own. The apartment building's security footage was reviewed, and it also showed nothing. So this case immediately became a big deal. A gorgeous four-year-old little girl from a nice upper-class family was missing, and no one had any clue as to what happened to her. Billboards went up. Paulette's family was all over social media. Her little face was everywhere. The entire country was on a mission to find Paulette. A couple of days after she went missing, authorities found themselves no closer to knowing what happened than they did on that very first day of the investigation. So Lisette decided to do a TV interview to try to draw some attention to the case. In an effort to garner as much empathy as possible for her baby, where better to hold this interview than in the very bedroom of her missing little girl? So Lisette actually gave several TV interviews pleading with whoever took her daughter to please return her safely, all while sitting on Paulette's bed. Now, as a mother, I don't even allow myself to imagine sitting in my missing child's room, looking around at all the things that were loved and treasured by my baby. You can look around the room and see her pretty pink pillows, 
her little bedspread and her stuffed animals sitting on her bookshelf. There's a little plush pony hanging off of the headboard. It's simply heartbreaking. At one point, one of Lisette's friends came to stay with her to offer some moral support, and the only now vacant bedroom for her to sleep in was Paulette's, so that's where she slept. Now imagine, for just a minute, actually sleeping in the room, in the very bed of your dear friend's missing baby. It's just a horrible thought. I can't imagine. Must have been so weird. So weird to look around, like look at the walls and think, what happened? Right. Now this case has been referred to as the Mexican John Benet Ramsey case. And I honestly don't like that. Because one thing I've decided for myself as I've researched true crime is that every case deserves its own attention. Every victim is special. Everybody matters. And unfortunately, we all know that some cases get overlooked. Some victims are considered less dead for all kinds of reasons. But in this case, we have a well-to-do family, a pretty little girl. This case was sure to get a ton of attention, just like John Benet Ramsey. Now, despite my not liking the comparison, mainly because I think it's, you know, a little insensitive to all the victims who aren't John Benet Ramsey, I will say that I do see why people compare these two cases. There are a lot of parallels, and one of them is that the crime scene really wasn't protected. Authorities did their initial search, but after that, hundreds if not thousands of people were allowed to go in and out of this house. Not only is the family still living there, but house guests and TV crews are coming and going. I mean, they're literally filming in her bedroom the actual spot where she went missing from. Wow, that's weird. Yeah, and if you think about it, like just one film crew alone would pack the room. Yeah. You've got an interviewer, the interviewee, camera operators, mic operators, assistants. Yeah, and all those wires and... Oh, it's a ton of people and things crammed into a small space. Right. And she was doing several of these interviews. And then not to mention she's got her friend sleeping in Paulette's bed. Yeah. So to me, for the authorities to literally have no idea what happened, it just seems strange that people were allowed to just come and go like that. Yeah, totally. Well, it's strange until you find out that Mauricio is close friends with Alfredo Castillo, a man who worked for the Attorney General of the state of Mexico. Investigators would later say that they had been ordered to stop processing the crime scene almost as soon as they arrived. They were told to look for signs of forced entry, but nothing else. They said the scene was never closed off, and police officers were even allowed to use the girls' restroom as they worked the scene. Yeah, that's weird too. Very. Now, after Paulette had been missing for nine days, the police decided to question Mauricio, Nizette, and the nannies one more time and by this time everyone was starting to turn on each other the attorney general alberto basbas told local reports that quote each one of them at a certain moment has falsified their statements which has made it difficult to know the truth of the facts and clarify a firm line of investigation end quote 
So during this interrogation, Mauricio is blaming Lisette or the nannies. It doesn't really seem like he cares who gets the blame, as long as it isn't him, while Lisette is blaming Mauricio. Now, allegedly, Mauricio went as far as to say something along the lines of knowing where Paulette was and that he would be willing to tell them everything if they helped him because he didn't want to go to jail. Attorney General Bosbos said that he felt strongly that Lisette was responsible for her daughter's disappearance, and he would go on to say that she was the only suspect. I have no doubt that this is a homicide investigation, he said. At this moment, we can say that Lisette is a suspect. In addition to her, we are investigating the level of knowledge of others involved. She claimed that aliens, or get this, Harry Potter, what? may have taken Paulette, and she was caught on tape telling Lisette Jr. that she was not allowed to talk about Paulette's disappearance or people would think that they were guilty of hurting her. She also said that if she lost Paulette, it would be okay since she had another daughter. That is a weird thing to say. Very strange. I cannot imagine thinking or saying something like that. No. So many people agreed with us and they didn't know what to make of Lisette and her bizarre, if not altogether inappropriate comments. But her friends and family allege that she has a personality disorder in which she is incapable of showing empathy or emotion and that that was the explanation for her odd statements. Is that their assumption or is that like from a doctor? I didn't read a doctor's report, but it sounds like they were saying she'd actually been diagnosed. Oh, okay. So that could potentially explain her odd behavior. Okay. So Paula, at the beginning of this case... I told you that it was probably the weirdest set of circumstances that I've ever heard of. Yes. Okay. Well, right here, right now, is where I'm going to remind you that I warned you. Okay. So on March 31st, 10 days after Paulette went missing, someone noticed a foul smell coming from Paulette's bedroom. Oh, no. Now, once again... Police searched the room, but this time they did find something. At the foot of Paulette's bed, wrapped in a bodily fluid soaked blanket, was the body of four year old Paulette. What? She was wedged between the foot of the mattress and the bed frame. How in the world did this happen? How, how did they miss it? Because I know they flipped up the mattress. I don't know. Authorities checked this room. The nannies checked this room. The nannies said they moved the mattresses to check to make sure she hadn't got stuck somewhere. The police watched as the nannies demonstrated for them how they had made the bed. Lisette sat on this bed while she did TV interviews and her friend slept <gasps> in this bed. Oh, that's right. Oh, God. Sniffer chills. dogs. Sniffer dogs came in and they searched this room. How could she have been there the whole time? Seriously, how? I don't know. But now that we have a body, police are calling this case a homicide. The coroner ruled the death as a result of asphyxia by obstruction of the nasal cavities 
and thorax abdominal compression. Tests revealed that she had eaten food at least five hours before she died. Now, the coroner did change the time of death a few times, but the lividity of the body was consistent with the position it was found in, and it did not point to the body having been moved. But then, just as quickly as the case was ruled a homicide, authorities changed their minds and said it was an accidental death. What? Why? Again, I don't know. (laughs) For me, this has to be a homicide. It just has to be a homicide. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, here's why. So I think it is absolutely impossible that her body had been there for 10 days. Now, could a child with limited mobility accidentally get wedged between a mattress and another surface and then suffocate? Yes. Every mother knows this. This is why we barely sleep for the first year of our baby's lives. We know that babies can become tangled up in blankets and toys and pillows. So we lay them flat on their backs on a hard surface and we still don't sleep just because we're worried and afraid. So I would imagine that a child with limited mobility might be similar due to the fact that if she did find herself tangled in blankets or stuck between the mattress, maybe, you know, like an infant, she might have had a harder time freeing herself. So for me, the idea that she could have died this way is not necessarily unheard of. Yeah, I I think it's possible. Right. But what is absolutely unfathomable to me is the fact that she laid there, tangled in her blankets, for 10 days. If my immobile child went missing, I would have ripped that room apart. And according to the nannies, they did. So you mean to tell me that parents, nannies, police, sniffer dogs, a house guest, a TV crew were all in and out of this room for 10 days and no one noticed the dead body at the foot of the bed? I I agree. I don't see that happening. Well, you can really decide for yourself because there's actually a video of authorities finding her. Oh. Now, I will say she's well hidden, but I still don't believe that they could have missed her if they were looking for her. So you can go online and look at pictures of her room. The crazy thing is, if you watch the interview with her mom, if you look at some of these photos that were taken, she is supposedly, allegedly, at the foot of the bed the whole time in all of these photos. And you can't see her. Now, I will say, when they do discover her, so it's like a big wooden bed frame. With, like a day bed? No, it's like a, it's got like this weird tall, it's got a footboard and a headboard. And then it's got like, at first I thought it was like a ladder on the footboard, almost like maybe like a bunk bed, but just like the bottom of it. Okay. But when I looked closer, I didn't see a ladder. So I don't know what that is. I heard some people say that like the bed was like in the shape of a ship, but it didn't really look like that to me either. But it's just like a plain wood bed frame with a mattress. And it's a pretty good size by looking at it. I didn't read what size the bed is, but by looking at it, I would guess maybe like a full size. It didn't really look like a twin. Okay. But then in another report I read, it said it was a twin size mattress with like a full size frame. It didn't look like that to me either because I would imagine like major gaps and this didn't look like it had huge gaps. But just imagine a bed and then 
at the very end of the bed between the mattress and the footboard underneath the comforter underneath everything you have this tiny little girl just laying there and it'll be real clear once you look at pictures so if if she was just laying there and then the blankets were covering her and everything it would be really hard to see her you'd have to really look for her right um you could sleep in the bed and not be bothered by her she's she's not in the bed she's at the bottom of it between the the footboard and the mattress but if you're looking for her you're gonna find her right you know it's been 10 days a lot of people said well why didn't it smell earlier exactly and that's a good question and i don't know the answer to it i will say that she was wrapped up like she her body was kind of tangled in these sheets and blankets and so some people say that would have like held the the smell in And then by the time they did find her, this is disturbing, but her bodily fluids had escaped her body. And so they were soaked and wet. And, you know, maybe that's what caused her to start smelling after 10 days. Again, if they just missed her for a couple hours, I would say, okay, possible. But 10 days of her being in this room, especially if everybody's really doing the search they said they did, if you're moving the mattresses, if you're making the bed, I mean, if you're just looking for your kid, if, if my right. kid's missing, I'm literally, I'm going to look in the drawers. I'm going to look in, I'm going to look everywhere. Yeah. If they really searched for this little girl, there is no way she was there the whole time. I agree. 100%. Even when I'm looking for my keys, I go over and over the same places I've already looked, really taking things apart and opening everything and moving things and moving it back. Right. And that's just for keys. Right. There's no way. I'm just telling you. I agree. So murder accident we really don't know what happened but we do know that paulette was buried at pantheon francis cemetery in mexico city on april 6th 2010 so here are some of the most prevalent theories in this case so most of them point to the mother lisette being guilty most people seem to think that Lisette killed Paulette either accidentally or on purpose and that everything else was just a cover-up and that they got away with it because they were an influential family with important and powerful friends. But what would have been the motive? So in my experience, there are two main reasons why people kill. You tell me, Paula, what do you think the two main reasons why people kill? Okay, money Mm -hmm. and sex. That's exactly what I have here, (laughs) money and sex. So in this case, let's take a look at the financial situation. So I already stated that the Ferra family was pretty well-to-do, but despite them being successful, Paulette's care was very expensive. She needed full-time caretakers, expensive medications, fancy doctors and specialists, nannies, physical therapy, and it was only through all of these expensive treatments that she was able to do these things like walking and talking. If the therapy stopped, she would probably regress. So even though the family had a decent amount of money, it was still very financially draining and they were pretty deep in debt. There were also some reported problems in the marriage. So remember how they had just returned from two separate vacations just the night before Paulette went missing? Yes. Well, remember how I told you Lisette had gone away with a friend? Yes. Many sources say that that friend was actually her lover. Oh, 
Now there's also some speculation that the pair of pajamas that Paulette was wearing when she was found were seen in her room during one of the TV interviews laying on the bed just before her body was discovered. Interesting. Yeah, but to me, this really doesn't mean anything for a couple of reasons. So the first of which is when she's found, you can see she's wearing a solid colored green shirt and patterned pajama pants. Potentially what was seen in this interview maybe could have been just like the matching shirt. With kids' pajamas, sometimes it's a shirt and pants in the exact same fabric. And then sometimes the pants may be patterned with like a coordinating shirt. So by looking at the photo, I can't really tell what exactly these pajamas, you know, what the set may have looked like. I can kind of see it going either way. But if the pajama set was a top and bottom of identical fabric, then she wouldn't have necessarily had to have worn them together. You know, my kids will wear a Thomas the Train shirt and Elmo Bottoms if that's what they're feeling that day. So, you know, we may have been seeing like the shirt folded on the bed or something like that and her wearing the matching shorts. Uh, Sometimes children's pajama sets come with like one pair of pants and two coordinating shirts. So... We really don't know what this pajama situation was. And I can't say that like seeing a pair that looked the same folded on her bed makes or breaks this case. Uh, The other thing I thought about is that, you know, there could have even been two matching sets of pajamas. She had a sister just a couple of years older. I know my kids have a couple, you know, matching pajama sets. And from time to time, the baby set will get put in the, you know, in the older brother's drawer To me, the pajamas really don't mean anything other than there was more than one. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. The other interesting thing to note is that Maurice and Lisette literally blame everyone else for Paulette's death, but they take no personal responsibility at all. They put a lot of blame on the nannies. I guess this gets me because if it really was an accident, then no one is to blame. But I will say that Lisette is the one who put her to bed the night before. Given that information, I really don't see how the nannies could have been at fault unless they were supposed to check on her maybe throughout the night and they didn't. Right. But if that's the case, nobody's ever said so. Nobody's ever said that. So I don't know how they could have blamed these nannies for this supposed accident. Now, the nannies have come right out and said that her parents killed her. Uh, Many people think, like me, that it was absolutely impossible that she was in that bed for the entire 10 days and that her parents may have hidden her somewhere. I kept reading about, like, an apartment air duct that she may have been hidden in. Interesting. Yeah. So maybe they, like, put her away because they were trying to stage a kidnapping to get some money. Oh, yeah. I could see that. Except, where's the money coming from? Other than maybe their own family members, if their own family members were like well to do, I don't, is there like a special fund somewhere set up to pay ransom amounts? Yeah, like is there an uncle that's really rich that we don't know about? Right, because like they're holding her hostage, but they are the ones who would typically be paying the ransom. So I just don't get like how they're going to make money off of it. But let's just go with it. Let's say her parents staged a kidnapping and hit her somewhere. And according to this theory, the case like blew up and got much bigger much faster than they expected and so because you know there was all of this attention and everybody was coming and going they were unable to go get her from wherever they had hidden her 
And then by the time they were able to do so, she died. So that's one of the theories. Um, some sources say that Lisette and Mauricio got in a big fight after returning home on Sunday night and that this upset Paulette, causing her to get loud. And in this theory, Lisette Jr. tried to quiet her and in doing so accidentally suffocated her. And then they, you know, hid her for some time and then planted her body in the bed later to be discovered to make it look like an accident. Right. So... I'm going to leave you with this little interesting tidbit. In 2017, Lisette and Mauricio exhumed Paulette's body and had her cremated. Why? I don't know. Now, I have personally never heard of any family exhuming their child only to have her cremated. Yeah, that makes no sense. Unless they're trying to hide evidence. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> like, that's where my mind goes. I mean, I yeah. have no problem with cremation. I'm right. I'm going to be cremation. Me too. Or cremated. But I just think it's strange to have a body exhumed only to be cremated. Unless you're worried that maybe later on somebody might have some questions. I want to do some further testing or, you know, a second autopsy or something like that. In which case, let's get rid of any remaining evidence we have right now. Yeah, that's the only thing that I can think of. Me too. I hate to, I, I hate to like put speculation on parents who have gone through something so tragic, so terrible. I guess it's exactly what I've done (laughs) here but you know I think it's terrible they've lived through this tragedy and here I am like speculating that they're responsible for it I do not know how someone could a toy I don't know how a toy if you were searching desperately for a toy I don't see how you could miss it in the location where her body was found if you were really looking right absolutely and again this is your child it's not a toy it's not a set of keys right I mean she's tiny but she's you know, I have a four-year-old, more than halfway my height, and he's little. Like, yeah, they, they still take up room. <laughs> right. You don't just like, oops, didn't see you there. Like, they're, I don't know. It's crazy to me. That is crazy. Yeah. So that is the case of little Paulette. But listeners, we're, we're doing something different. We're actually introducing a new segment at the end of each of our shows where Paula is going to wow us with some creepy fact or true crime trivia or a terrifying tidbit it's our new segment called time to kill so right now i'm going to turn it over to paula why don't you tell me something terrible okay so there's a show on netflix called the vanishing at the cecil hotel and i know a lot of you have heard about it but they do a really great i think it's a four or five part story on the cecil and the mysterious vanishing of Alyssa Lamb. If you haven't heard of it or seen the video clip, there was a young woman that checked in and never checked out. So in the Cecil, we follow the disappearance of a 21-year-old woman from British Columbia who went missing on vacation alone. Now, I understand the feeling of needing a vacation, you know, to get away and explore, but I don't think I could do this overseas by myself. No, me neither. Yeah. No. Yeah, she's brave. But the Cecil has a long history of death dating back to the 20s. Several suicides, some were murdered, some were poisoned and stabbed, even beaten and raped. There were several people that fell or were pushed from the building. It opened in 1927 in downtown Los Angeles. 
It was lavishly decorated with marble. It was very fancy, but if you went further than the lobby, it looked like an old hospital. Super small rooms with literally just a bed and a tiny bedside table. The Great Depression was only two years after it opened, so that, plus with the fact that the Cecil was very close to Skid Row, it was a reasonable explanation for the fact that it seemed to be a magnet for violence and crime. 1931 was the first documented death. Other nicer hotels soon began to pop up and outshine the Cecil, which became the spot for shady characters to stay and even live. They had single occupant rooms that you could rent, but you would have to share a bathroom with other tenants. There's another thing I couldn't do, renting a place to live and having to go down the hall every time I wanted to use the bathroom or to take a shower. No thanks. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> In 2011, Cecil got a makeover and a new name, Stay on Main. They redid the lobby, so there were actually two separate lobbies, one for the guests and one for the residents. However, they still only had the one elevator system, so you could be in the elevator as a guest on vacation and be in there with some sketchy people that live there. They closed for renovations and it was predicted they would reopen in 2021, but with the pandemic, who knows if or when that will actually happen. That is a scary place. Yeah. I would never, ever, ever stay there. I watched that. I watched the, the Netflix special. Oh my goodness, the the rooms were disgusting. They were. I mean, they really looked like something that was a mental hospital at, at some point. It, they were just so small and cramped and just dirty and gross. So gross. So if you if you haven't um, watched this and you don't know the story of Elisa Lamb, she was actually found on top of the hotel floating in the water tank. And there were some strange uh, video surveillance footage caught of her in the elevator acting kind of erratically, almost looking like she was hiding from somebody or running away from somebody. She was making weird hand gestures and just doing weird things. And then they end up finding her in the hotel water tank. Yeah. They, and they show you the video and it's just it just gives you chills up and down your spine. Yeah. It's a creepy one. What do you think happened to her? I really believe that it was an accidental death because she was on medication um, but she wasn't taking it, and she had uh, bipolar disorder, and her family was later interviewed, and they said that she could be manic if she was not on this medication. And when they were going through her stuff and her pills, there were too many in the bottle, which means she wasn't taking them as she should have been. So in my opinion, she wasn't taking them, she got erratic, she was having a really bizarre episode, and kind of went off on her own and went crazy. I agree. That's that's what I think happened too. I think well, we t- talked about it a few episodes ago, having like night terrors and and things like that, where you're in one reality but you think something else is going on. And right. I think something like that could have happened. I do too. Really sad. Very situation because she was discovered after hotel guest said the water coming from their faucets turned black and smelled and tasted funny. Yeah. And then that's when they discovered that she had been floating in the water tank. Yeah. Well, that was definitely a terrifying tidbit, Paula. (laughs) Isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. We really appreciate you. Like us. Follow us. Hit subscribe. Tell your friends. We sure do appreciate it. And we hope to bring you a new episode every Friday. All right. Bye.